Hi, I'm Tracy Koga, and thanks for downloading this podcast from ilikehugh.com. If you can, give us a follow or subscribe. And remember that all the information about the guests in today's episode can be found at ilikehugh.com. Now, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Hue virtual chat. Well, we're going to get snow today, so my background is a little deceiving. The trees are bare, the skies are gray, and yes, the white stuff is about to come today. So not only is it depressing, it's a little bit gloomy. And I just wanted to know if you knew the meaning of FUD or F-U-D, or it's, it's an acronym for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. So just wondering if you ever have suffered or had the feelings of FUD lately, and what do you do to get out of it? But uh, today we'll be talking mostly about the growing concern about racism and how it can affect our mental health and, well, probably lead to some FUD in us. So let's open the doors to our amazing crew that have joined us here for our virtual chat. And there they are. Hey, there's Marley. Hey, hi, Robin. Hey, hi, Eileen. And welcome, Ian. Must be Ian. <laughs> and I think Keiko is in the conversation. Keiko, hello. Hello. So uh, I just want to let you know that you just have to unmute yourselves and join in the conversation. And then we'll be all set to go. Hi, Marley. Uh, so I want to uh, say, first of all, thank you on this like great uh, first snow day, I guess we're going to get. Uh, we're all anticipating for that. So we were racing around this morning, getting all of the patio furniture indoors and all of that fun stuff. But uh, yeah, so I want to welcome back Eileen. It's so great to see you. And uh, Ian, so uh, you're one of the, well, I'd say maybe the third guy now that's been on this chat. So... <laughs> and hi Keiko thank you so much for joining us oh, you're welcome yeah, yeah glad to be here oh well you know it um, this is the, the the new normal of uh talk shows or whatever you want to call it and of course Robin hey Robin how was your concert last night your curbside concert Oh my God, like Romy blew it out of the park far exceeded my expectations um if anyone has any inclination, like go curbside concerts, it was, there are no words to describe how phenomenal it was. Oh, I'm glad. So uh, Rami is a, the producer and organizer of curb, curbside concerts. So they have all these musicians that will come to your place and perform for you on your driveway, in your yard, socially distanced. I think you can only have five people now, but hey. At least it's plus the household. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but Charlotte was so blown away. She's uh, she's booked one for Saturday. So get in before it gets too cold, guys. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So anyways, um, I'm going to start with uh, Eileen and Ian, first of all. We, we're having this conversation. And again, um, Rita from Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba was supposed to join us, but unfortunately, um, she couldn't today. So, you know, hopefully we'll have her on. But uh, Eileen and Ian, maybe sort of preface a little bit about 
the organization and, and what it does. And then I'm really interested in maybe Ian's kind of expertise and knowledge on how we're discussing racism, we're discussing mental health within our ethnic communities and especially the Asian community. Um, you know, we're in code orange, close to being code red. So it's, uh, it's scary times for all of us, I think. But uh, Eileen and Ian, take it away. Yeah, for sure. So uh, we're both from uh, Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba. We both started in um, July and are loving it here. Um, Mood Disorders Association of Manitoba is a self-based, uh, self-help-based organization dedicated to providing support and advocacy for those struggling with mental illness and co-occurring uh, Ill uh, mental illnesses as well. And um, so here we have uh, a lot of peer support groups that we offer. We're in the middle of shifting everything online right now, um, but we do have quite a few support groups that are online um, through our website that uh, the public can access. We have a mixed peer support group. We have depression group, a youth group, borderline personality disorder group. We had just started a, our women's group. And um, we also have the friendly caller program that Ian was captaining and I'll let him speak about that. For sure. And that's just a program where actually um, Manitobans, especially those who are feeling, you know, extra isolation or feelings of loneliness, which are being exacerbated by COVID, um, will actually reach out and call you and do a mental health check-in on you. And, um, you know, just keep you company, have a friendly call, just like what's in the name. Um, yeah, and we're, like Eileen said, we're doing some great things here uh, with the organization and really loving it. Um, and then back to your question, you know, um, I'm obviously uh, a Filipino Canadian. Um, so my mom is a Filipino, a Filipina, I should say. And um, so I was raised, um, you know, uh, in a, a very white neighborhood for most of my life. And so I've personally experienced um, not just, you know, the mental illnesses side, but also the side of racism and seeing how those two are connected, um, you know, and, and there are studies that show, um, you know, there are ties between um, racism and anxiety levels, stress levels. Um, of course, there's great strong ties between socioeconomic factors and race and then between socioeconomic factors and mental health. Um, so, you know, these are all things that uh, we try to bear in mind while we reach out to the community. And, you know, we always address things with a, an open uh, community framework and, and try to address racism within our own community. Um, and, you know, we're having this conversation uh, Shortly after, I think it's important to note the, the death of Joyce Echequan, who was the 37-year-old Indigenous woman in Quebec who passed away um, due to not being provided adequate, um, adequate health um, treatment. And, you know, that was due to racism in the health system. So I think it's just as important for us dealing with mental health to make sure that we are providing adequate services and, you know, uh, making sure that we're addressing racism within our community internally. Oh, yeah. Well, and that's a whole big conversation. Um, Keiko, I, I wanted to ask you now, you've been doing a lot of... Um, work for human rights, especially with the, the Japanese community too as well. How has this all affected the Japanese community, COVID, pandemic, isolation, um, economically too? 
you know, within our, and, and the Japanese community is small here in Winnipeg. Uh, yes, uh, uh, I have been working actually um, with the national organization, the National Association of Japanese Canadians uh, the past two years and the last six, seven months now, uh, uh, I've just gone off the board, but <laughs> uh, it was quite a, um, busy and uh, very uh, emotional and uh, difficult time, I think, for everyone, of course, but also um, just dealing with some of the uh, reports that have come through the communities. Uh, and I think uh, it was good that we, um, we did um, sort of join a coalition of Asian Canadians across the country. And I think you need to support one another in these uh, times when uh, there are issues that come up like this and uh, to deal with it, not only at the local level, but also um, in, in, on a level where you make some changes to policy. And I think that's where they're going now with this coalition, Act to End Racism. I don't know whether you've all heard of that group or not, but it started out of Calgary and uh, it includes uh, all the, well, it started with East Asians, mainly because of the COVID, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, related uh, incidents of stigmatization and xenophobia and, and, and of course, racism, uh, blatant racism. A lot of it, you know, it wasn't just a, a aggression, well, it's aggression really. So, um, I, I think uh, by joining a group like that, you could do more, you know, in, in terms of um, making the difference and, and uh, reaching out to people because uh, there are a lot of, you know, it's, it's, it includes um, Filipino, uh, you know, uh, all the other groups now. And, and now with what happened in the black community, the anti-black racism that, uh, emerged while we were sitting at home and witnessing all the trauma that was happening. Uh, I, I think, you know, we're, they're also looking at uh, all racism and trying to make changes in the community. Oh, but in I terms know. of our own community, I'm sorry, I think I didn't answer the question about locally. I think, you know, we're a very small community. We're only about 1800. And uh, so uh, people, are so close and they know each other, like the families. So uh, initially we did reach out to the uh, seniors in the community, make sure that they, they were being looked after. Uh, and now I think we're coming out of it uh, fairly well, but it's still closed. As soon as the first case of uh, COVID arrived in Winnipeg, uh, the cultural center closed. So people didn't have that connection, mm -hmm. but thank goodness for uh, conversations like this. <laughs> on on zoom that uh, they, they have been having meetings and carrying on and uh, you know I think they're doing okay oh well that that's good um, thanks for joining hi Susie it's good to see you too how uh, I'm gonna switch it over <laughs> well sorry that's okay you're here that's all that matters um, we're think we're talking all things Asian <laughs> well then I'm in the right place <laughs> yeah. Oh, Robin, one of these things just doesn't belong here. No, that wasn't started. Everybody's Asian when it comes to food. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, like I may as well be in the minority for a change. Get over my uh, you know, ability to think I'm all to everyone. I'll just sit quietly here like this. <laughs> 
Ah, uh, no, your turn to speak. Um, spilling off a little bit about, you know, Eileen and Ian and the work that they do, obviously, too, it's very similar to the work that you do and Charlotte do. Um, but I really wanted to kind of address the ethnic community. And, you know, I, I am safe to say because I, I live it too, is that for Asians, we really don't talk about mental health and mental illness. Um, culturally, it's just something we don't. But now, obviously, living in these times and having a vocal cousin and family member like Marley, I mean, she has opened up all of our ears to, to so many things, but Robin and Charlotte, you know, Charlotte, you deal with the families too. Is it harder? Do you find for Asians to kind of come forth with their mental well-being? So I, th I think I learned a good lesson a number of years ago. I was doing some work in Toronto with um, God, I forget their name. I think it's like Southeast Asian Coalition. And there was a whole discussion about how do we engage cultures who have some of that shame piece attached to the term mental illness. And that's part of the reason why we're like throwing out mental illness and talking about mental health on a continuum. Um, and one of the conversations was to engage people in volunteering because people were saying volunteering is an honour kind of thing. And when people were volunteering in some of the mental health, like the peer services, they were getting support. And then like they were being able to talk to their families about their volunteering piece. And it just changed the conversation. And I think people started to be able to have a little bit of a different conversation. And again, that piece about throwing out that really old, I'm so tired of hearing that mental illness and let's talk mental health. We talk physical health, mental health, mental health on such a continuum for me from the, like my health is great, yo, to oh, the wheels have fallen off the bus today. And like the bus feels like it's driving over the cliff. And so I think, a, changing that conversation, throwing out. I, I And Charlotte and I often talk about this. I talk about let's talk about individuals, let's not talk diagnosis, and let's find out what's happening for someone. Because even if someone has anxiety or depression or bipolar, which, you know, I have that great diagnosis, but it looks really different for every people. There's a few similarities but let's actually get to know the individual. And if we can do that, like what's working, what's not working for you, they're different conversations. And I think from, from working with, uh, there's a, a group in California I've done some work with too, I mean, in terms of the Asian community and they're changing those discussions and it's a little bit easier to have that because if we're just talking mental health as in, like the whole continuum, it's not what people are telling me because, you know, look at this face, I don't know. Um, but people are telling me it opens up that conversation a little easier, but it's still, there's so much stigma and discrimination that runs with that. And, and from what people tell me, it's that big shame piece. But I'm, I'm up for you guys to teach me. I'm like just chatting from what I know, which is not a lot. 
one of the things that I was thinking about um, in the last few weeks was language barrier. So, you know, when you talk about the shame and the, you know, that feeling of shame, well, if we have all these services in English, we don't have services in their language, then that shame is even, you know, surmounted, right? So um, I was actually just thinking about your program, the, the check-in, the call, um, you know, given that we're having this discussion of, of, of the Asian community and has there been any sort of discussion about language barrier or, or you know, um, marketing to people who speak other languages to be a volunteer for those programs? You know, that's kind of what's been rumbling around my head um, because I was, I, I was just putting in touch, actually, I, the reason why, because I was putting in touch a university student with someone who spoke Japanese. And this university student was feeling overwhelmed and feeling anxiety, you know, a lot of anxiety right now, given COVID and university on Zoom, um, but had, but didn't, couldn't translate everything properly for themselves. So that's been one of the issues that's running around in my head right now. Well, I'm, yeah, Eileen and Ian, have you run into those problems? Yeah, um, I can definitely speak to that. Um, <clears throat> that's something that we're actually in the midst of discussing right now. And it's something that we are looking into. Um, there's some organizations, um, especially those that work in the immigrant and refugee community, some organizations that we're actually in discussion with right now around getting that sort of programming in place. Because similarly, you know, we are new to, to this organization, but that's something that certainly we have seen and um, that, you know, our executive director, uh, Rita Shahal, has, has seen a need for is, um, you know, trying to implement programs and meeting people where they're at. Um, so if we can get volunteers, you know, from our communities, from, you know, the Japanese community and the Filipino community and, and other Asian communities, and um, even, you know, uh, various African nations and, and different nations that uh, are bringing um, newcomers to Canada, uh, you know, we want to get some programming in place that can address that and can reach out and, and address the needs of those people who, who require things like, you know, calling and, and peer support and some of the great things that we're, we're trying to implement. Yeah. Charlotte, do you want to add in something? Oh, you know, my, my head is swirling. I just, um, thinking about what you guys were talking about and the, the language barriers, um, and, uh, the importance of, well, my head goes a couple places, the sandwich generation. So where you've been raised culturally from your, your immigrant parents, but you also have all the Canadian, um, your Canadian upbringings and trying to appease both your children and, um, and the adults in your life can be very difficult. And I've run in with, into that situation many times with parents who, um, who have a child, who has a child struggling and trying to keep everybody happy. And that, that is such a huge balancing act. Um, my head also goes to, um, we were doing training in Toronto in the fall and there was some immigrant groups that were part of that. And, um, and the importance of having proper training. If you're gonna do peer support in that immigrant group, you, know, you really need to make sure it is peer support. And you're, because you can do a real disservice 
um, especially when an immigrant comes forward to you trusting that you're going to help them and um, you're not giving you know proper um, guidance or you know or whatever that may look like um, and yeah my head goes to that shame piece as well and I remember several years ago there was a, a suicide in one of the immigrant um, communities that um, I was working with um, the parent in that and it was really difficult um, supporting the parent um, because of that shame and blame piece and then not wanting to talk about it. And then when she started to open up a little bit more with me and it was through a translator, you know, um, things were going on for a long time with their child and, um, and then, you know, beating herself up for sticking with her culture and not um, acknowledging what was really going on with her child. So um, my heart really was broken over that story. And um, I'm hoping that what you guys are saying is going to happen for more and more in the immigrant. I know that Toronto has a lot more resources than, than Winnipeg that I'm aware of. Um, and there's some good stuff out there. So if you're interested in starting something like that, um, really looking at what's already been created and, um, and using that, not thinking that you can create it yourself. Um, so, hey, Robin, do you want to add to that? Because we're really big about collaborating. Um, so, you know, when, when there is something out there and they have it and they're willing to share it with you, go for it. So, I think I just wanted to share, like, some of the stuff when we're looking at volunteers and training and stuff. Like, I know it's not the same, but I did a bunch of work in Palau. And there's a huge um, Filipino uh, community and there's huge Korean community there. And, and they also speak Palauan, which I don't generally. So we were doing some training there. And what one of the things, I, I popped it in the chat, we want to make sure that we adjust all our training too, that we still have our like general trainings, but we also like, culturalize the training and look at the languages and the way wording is used because the way I say something and the way some of the Palauans said something was completely different so we had to spend time before we trained those um, volunteers up about what's the different nuances in the way I describe something versus someone else and that training was such a cool experience because I did it in English. We had a translator. They did all the activities in Palawan, Filipino and Korean, which meant I had no idea what they were saying. And then we'd feedback so that I could understand it and the different groups. And I think that was super cool. But we also included individuals and their families in that. So we were getting this like community piece rather than just here's which you know western society is great here's the you know individual with the mental health let's just look at them and then other communities have that bigger kind of community piece so it was like adding that piece to the training as well so that then we kind of got this instead of this i'll be quiet now i'm sorry it's not no, my I'm gonna no, Robin, keep going on because uh, what we do a ton now is really looking at that family or community and everybody who's 
part of the story. So it is just not based on the individual who is struggling, but taking a look at the parents and the grandparents and everybody's role in it and getting everybody together. Um, Robin did an amazing call a couple of weeks ago where she had uh, grandparents and, and best friends and um, parents and everybody who was part of the story in on a Zoom call. And, um, and then just coming together and working on a plan to support each individual in that, in how they fit into that story. And um, we're really trying to utilize that more and more going forward. And so something like that in one of the immigrant communities, it creating that. So where you're taking a look at their culture and their values and their norms, as well as what's going on by living in, in our Western culture. And, and it would be pretty amazing. I know Robin and I would love to develop that one. <laughs> But anyway, okay, back to you guys. <laughs> Let well, me with that. I'll come and help. <laughs> well, I was just thinking, and, and Susie, I'll get you in on this, um, while you were discussing all this on how, like, all alone, if you could imagine being here for the first time, coming to Canada, coming to Winnipeg, starting a new life, so much promise, so much freedom, and you're in the middle of a pandemic, and you're lost. You don't know the language. You don't understand it. Um, and where do you go? And then on the flip side of it, you could have been here for many years and still living in this shell of, you know, whether it be culture or whether it be, you know, trying to appease your, your parents, your grandparents and everybody else, but not looking about or thinking about yourself and still having that cultural difference from everybody else. That could be so um, un unbelievable too in this time. So there's so many different factors. Susie, I, I don't know. It's hard. Okay, you sorry, have all the yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, one of my favorite uh, Instagram accounts right now is uh, called Brown Girl Trauma. And uh, it speaks to the parenting and mental health challenges that the children of immigrants have dealt with. And it's from a Southeast Asian perspective, um, uh, primarily uh, Indian, but there's so much in there that I can relate to. And depending on, you know, I think it depends on how your parents got here, um, what your family history is, what your story is. But I believe that there are generations of trauma in terms of what we as first generation Canadians deal with. And that has to do with things like colonization, that has to do with things like people having to leave to earn money and send back home. All of those things play a factor. And then you have to take into account as well, um, the racism that your parents faced when they were here too. So their, their experience was completely different than ours in the sense that I feel a lot of our generation was raised to just shut up and put up because you don't want to upset the people that brought you here. You don't want to upset the people that live here originally. And so you don't say anything. You don't complain. You just take it. And we were raised, I feel, in this case, to not do that. We were raised to ask questions and to challenge the status quo and to look at perhaps some of the wrongs that our parents and grandparents may have suffered and go, this isn't right. And no, you, someone definitely should have stood up for you. And I'm sorry that nobody did, but we're not gonna let this happen anymore. So I feel like there's a lot of 
a culmination of a lot of things that younger generations are dealing with and that don't want to put up with what our parents and our grandparents may have experienced already. So there's a lot of appetite for change, a lot of appetite to do better, and a lot of appetite of we're not going to take this anymore. So I think that's great. And I think that um, having that peer support through the immigrant community is huge because I feel like that peer support 40 years ago was mostly the shut up and put up uh, scenario where you don't complain, you'd be, you be grateful that you're even here, okay? That was the attitude that our parents were given. And that's not right, that's not appropriate. And um, these people who came before us deserve to be honored and their stories deserve to be told and we, as their descendants, deserve to make sure it never happens again. Boom. Boom. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, yeah. Thing, Susie, your perspective. I want. I would love to hear Keiko's perspective because um, Keiko and and her husband Art are, you know, close friends to to me, um, and uh, they are my cultural heroes and they've they've led the way so you know Keiko um if you wanted to sort of add with Susie because of your background yeah well there's a lot of things that everybody said that uh I mean I I was it's all up here you know where you you're thinking about all these things and uh uh, because of our background, Japanese Canadians were interned and uh, relocated to Manitoba. So uh, there was racism throughout that history, uh, not only in BC, but also when we came to Manitoba. So I was, I was just born basically during the war. So I didn't really experience it as much, but I did experience it growing up. And it was more blatant at the time, I think, uh, you know, just like, people would just come up to you and, and uh, you know, you had to kind of fight. Uh, it's a little different now. The aggression is a little more subtle, but at the same time, you've seen incidents of it uh, on TV where people are being pushed or bullied and, you know, uh, called names and so on because related to COVID, because of that Chinese virus that some people were talking about, <laughs> especially in, in uh, the United States. Uh, but here in Canada, too, there were a lot of incidents. And uh, one of the things I wanted to mention was uh, the national organization did have a survey that uh, was put on, on uh, the website. And uh, it was translated into Japanese. And the Act to End Racism group also uh, put a survey uh, on their website. And, and they translated it into a lot of uh, different uh, um, uh, languages so that people could uh, be directed there and especially Chinese of course they had uh, translators for that. Uh, they also uh, put up a lot of information on how to deal with you know people are fearful and and uh, you know to, to tell them to uh, relate an incident you know, it's traumatic and they don't, and sometimes like somebody mentioned about generational, if you've experienced it in the past, uh, chances are you don't want to talk about it, you know, unless you're really opened up, you know, over the years. But I, I think you, you tend to uh, just hold back and not want to discuss it. Uh, but because 
we did we did receive a number of um, uh, you know situations, mostly though in uh, you know Ontario and uh, Vancouver, a lot of incidents there. And uh, so what Act to End Racism did on their website, if people are interested, is uh, they they gave little cartoons of situations of if you witness a, an incident. Uh, what to do, how to uh, deal with that, and how to intervene. Uh, as you know, because often, you know, when you're a victim, uh, you don't, you just kind of get paralyzed. You don't know what to do, you don't know what to say. So it's important for people who witness it to, to know to take that person aside and protect them. You know, and uh, so those are the kind of things that uh, we've had workshops on. Uh, throughout these uh, six months and trying to educate people about the resources that are available and uh, you know just dealing uh, with some of these things because people are reluctant to come forward and uh, you know report these incidents uh, so it's really about protecting people and also uh, I just wanted to mention about um, you know mental health uh, when you're watching, you know, even a person who's not involved, when you're watching all these things happen on TV and you become very sad, you, you just don't, you know, you don't know what to do because you, there's nothing you can do really because it's happening somewhere else. But uh, I know I really, like I was working with these uh, situations uh, for months and then all of a sudden, like I just felt this sadness and uh, a fatigue. Like I, I didn't, I wasn't able to sort of do uh, anything anymore almost, you know. Uh, so I think it's important for other people to get involved and to, uh, you know, educate people about what's going on. Wow, amazing. Oh, and Keiko, I was just gonna ask, just talking about how when you started, you said there's so many thoughts in your mind and and my parents are the same as like they were entered, came from BC and loaded up on a flat cars and train stopped and you go here, you go there, you go here though and whatever. And uh, and they met, they came and, and settled here. But every, I hear little stories, you know, from my dad or, or from my uncle who has passed now, but I had no idea. And I was just wondering now, and even as dad watches all of this with Black Lives Matter, all of this violence and racial, you know, hate, racial hate out there, whether that brings back memories too. Oh, yeah. It, yeah, it definitely does. Because uh, a couple of the incident reports that, uh, you know, that we received uh, were from uh, Japanese Canadians who did experience, uh, you know, the whole situation uh, during the 50, 40s and uh, first of all they they couldn't believe that something was happening to them first so you know you kind of go into denial you don't want to <laughs> think that this is still happening uh, so I, I think that's probably why you know they would rather not um, discuss it but uh, I think more and more like with redress in the eight, eight, 1988 people started to open up and speak about their experiences. And uh, that was really important because uh, otherwise you can't move, move on. You've always got this feeling of guilt and feeling of, you know, just being hurt and uh, not 
belonging as a Canadian. That was the feeling that they had. So once that uh, acknowledgement was given, apology by the government that they made a mistake, uh, they just felt a relief that, uh, you know, probably undescribable for people who've never experienced that kind of thing. Uh, so uh, we have also been trying to do uh, oral histories because, you know, it's important for people to talk about their experience. And uh, so others can, you know, especially uh, us, we're, as, as Marley pointed out, we're of different generations almost, right? So uh, it's important for our children also to learn about it. Yes, and we are trying. So I mean, and Ian now, I guess, hearing all of this and I you know I really when we were having a conversation with Ian for me it, it triggered a little bit more of a social economic kind of thing talking you know with the ethnic communities and their mental health and wellness and you know and Eileen too do, working with the women's programs women really do take a lot on you know whether they're the you know a family or whether they're here supporting themselves or supporting others so Maybe the two of you now can sort of comment on that. Yeah, I mean, I would start off by saying too, um, you know, there have been studies by the Ontario Human Rights Commission that um, tie uh, culture as a huge role in um, how we address and how we identify mental health issues. And then I think that, again, that speaks to, you know, what is a women's place in various cultures and that's gonna change too from culture to culture. Um, across our different Asian nations and different Asian ethnicities, you know, there, there's going to be huge discrepancies in how women are treated and how women um, identify, uh, you know, mental illness in their children and, and how much responsibility they have in, in that role. And, um, you know, so uh, again, uh, just so many thoughts that I've been having um, throughout this conversation, you know, so many good things that have been said. Um, but, you know, uh, there's, there's been also interesting studies that show that, um, you know, uh, Chinese and South Asians in Ontario, um, this is by Center for Addictions and Mental Health, um, they presented with a far greater severity of mental illnesses when they were admitted into hospitals. So, you know, again, there's this sort of like Asian um, culture that says to, you know, stay hush, stay quiet. And sometimes we're seeing that this is happening until it's far too late. And that's why we're getting um, Asian members um, to hospitalize, you know, for mental illnesses um, when it's at a far, far more severe rate um, than you would find in, in other ethnicities and in other cultures. Mm -hmm. can, I, can I ask a, a question? I've often wondered with those studies, whether, and, and I've, I've questioned the center about this, um, whether it's because there's all of the trauma stuff that's occurring for people about moving to new countries, the generational trauma, all of that, and also whether it's our Western model of diagnosing. Like, I've been pushing that conversation with the centre at the moment. Like, is it that people actually have more significant, more severe mental illness or is it because it's our Western way of describing it that puts it that? And if we looked at traditional healing and traditional ways, would we actually describe it the same way? So 
Like I always have that twofold Western model, not identifying trauma, like creates explosion. And then we go, oh, we have higher rates of schizophrenia and people from Asian communities. And I'm like, well, is it? Or is it that we're not actually taking a look at what's happening for people and supporting them differently? Is it because we have a diagnosis discussion? There was um, at the CMHA conference last year, the chief keynote psychiatrist from around like North America said, let's throw out diagnosis. We're doing this wrong. And so I wonder about that in those statistics. And I've been annoying uh, CAMH for a long time about that. Well, you raise a good point, a very good point. And I think mental, when you're talking about mental health, right? I mean, it's not like a cancer that this is it and that. Uh, it is so different from person to person and it varies. And it's pretty hard, I think, to put like a formula on something like that. So, yes, good on you, Robin. <laughs> yeah, I think it's <laughs> I, I was just going to uh, talk about an article that I was reading last week. And uh, Marley, maybe you've read this article or heard about it too. And it was talking about Japan's lost generation. And how is there this entire generation of people who were supposed to have jobs and like move out of their parents' homes and like start their own lives and this and that, but it never happened. For whatever reason, these jobs did like, dried up and these people are like in their third, late 30s and 40s and still living at home. And the one thing that was missing from the article I felt was a discussion about mental health and was a discussion about is there a gap in terms of what these people were experiencing and the lack of support they may have needed that wasn't there that could have perhaps had a different outcome. Because a lot of the things that people were talking about were feeling disenfranchised, feeling um, you know, not important that their work or their presence even wasn't important. And so when you're living in a, in a society on the other side of the world that doesn't talk about these things like we do, there's huge gaps that occur and uh, what they said was that, oh, the, the kids just live at home and we don't talk about it, you know? And it's just like, okay, but that's not really helping, right? So it was an interesting um, discussion in the sense that, okay, but maybe now we can take a look at what precipitated this type of social um, and societal occurrence. What happened or didn't happen that this entire generation is considered lost and is not doing what their predecessors did. And obviously there were lots of factors at play. We're talking about post-war Japan, all those, all those technological changes, all those social and cultural changes, so many things, but mental health was completely missing. So that was glaring to me. And it would be interesting to see as we move forward in terms of new discussions, how we can bridge that gap. Yeah. Well, I know that, um... A couple years ago, there was a lot of discussion of there was a, a community member who committed suicide. And there was a lot of discussion on the fact that, you know, our cult, basically our cultural center needed to provide supports for people um, in the mental wellness area. And I that came up at a, at a board meeting um 
And it was one of those, it was one of those conversations where, you know, as a community center, we don't have the capacity to do those programs. Um, our community, community centers, is, it's, you know, there's cultural history, language, and food. Um, so, you know, in Manitoba, I think that is, that's, that's what's missing. You know, um, folks move here, uh, and the newcomers don't know where to go, you know, and they've come from a society like Japan, and they get here. They have little kids like she was my age, and our, and our kids um, did a little play group together, even like same ages as me, the kids were the same age, it was very similar, except for I was fourth generation, she's first generation, you know, so there are three generations, that's a huge gap. Um, yeah, so it's, I mean, it's interesting. It's very interesting. And it's interesting, you could add to that too. So perhaps when the kids enter the school system here, that's a great place to start, is to let the kids know what's available locally and regionally and say, okay, we have resources for you and you know for families. And even at a young age, talking about things like mental wellness can be really beneficial to opening up that conversation and to letting these kids know who, who live here now, this is a topic that's okay to discuss. And there are people here and resources that can help you, right? And they can take that learning home to their families as well. And I wonder if there's a, if, if that's, you've hit the nail on the head, absolutely. But probably folks in this conversation right now can agree that our system, our school system and our health system and our, you know, the education, um, you know, system. The, the ideal, yeah. No one's doing this. The nonprofit yeah. organization are trying to connect with the schools. The sc you have to go through the school division. It's very difficult, especially in Winnipeg one, to get any you know, connection there and build community and build on you know, what you're talking about, but build, that's really basically building a well and healthy community. And, and all the, the players don't talk. So how do you start that? How do you start that conversation? I mean, we've got two groups here that should be together. And I mean, this is going to be such a major, major health concern as we're and moving forward. Like right now, what I'm seeing with our kids in elementary school, our school division is still, they still haven't put out information on parent teacher. Well, I figured parent teacher is going to be on Zoom or team meet or whatever. Our school division still can't decide. Other school divisions have decided on how, yes, it's, I mean, it's, so the school divisions within Winnipeg are not even deciding. So on, on, on little things within the schools, little programs meet the teacher. So then you compound it with parents like myself or yourselves saying, wait a second, we also need to take into consideration the mental health of our students, newcomer mental health. Um, different generational mental health and, and in our school system, you know, and how do we, how do we bring bridge that? It's so tricky when the school system is not even they, the school division can't even decide on parent teacher. Well, I don't know. And I think the teachers are having a hard time too, because there was an article too in the paper about how the teachers are there. They don't know what to do. And, and one teacher said they don't even know how they're going to manage till Christmas because 
it is, I guess, chaos in some schools. And now with COVID, you know, hitting some of the schools and everything like that. So yeah, it goes, it's, it's kind of a mess right now. <laughs> we, were, uh, we were talking about doing some peer support for teachers. At one point we had some calls and I did like, we were just going to throw that as an option for teachers, but I spoke to a bunch of teachers in Canada and the US, they went, I don't even have a minute for me. I would love that, but I'm so caught up in this chaos of trying to work out how to teach these kids when the world keeps changing that I can't even, like one person said, I don't even get 10 minutes to sit and read a book. Like, yeah. and to try and find time to do a peer support, which I think would be super valuable, but I can't even find the time. So it's, that's one of the huge struggles when I think about teachers, they're working their asses off and it's just chaos at a higher level than them. And I'm like, sort you out. Well, a case in point, uh, a, a girlfriend of mine, she's a teacher. She's been teaching for over 25 years and um, all of a sudden, so the principal wanted to make sure that she stayed in her school. So she got a grade three class and she said I don't know what to do she said she was she said I was literally in tears at the end of the day because I didn't know how to relate or whatever to these grade threeers because she had been so used to teaching high schoolers and junior high kids for 25 years and and completely different subject like so I there is definite need for some mental health and wellness and some sort of support for all of these teachers, because I'm sure she's not the only story in that. And, you know, here's where she knows she should be kind of in her golden years and, and ready to retire and have like a wonderful year or two more years left. And now it's, she doesn't know if she'll even make it through the year. So that is sad. But anyways, <laughs> we can't solve all the problems here. So maybe let's go around the table thinking one positive thing that we could do. Okay, talking about what we were talking today, helping our ethnic communities and, you know, for mental health and wellness. What are, you know, what are some of the things, whether we volunteer, whether we get the word out, whether we try to start the conversation with different organizations, um, Hi, Kirsten. <laughs> so uh, let's start with Eileen and Ian. Um, well, definitely, I think one of the things we want to do is continue conversations with um, various organizations about, you know, um, trying to see what we can do to get uh, various languages implemented and reach out to communities that way. Um, and certainly, you know, just uh, within our communities, continuing to let one another know what resources are out there. You know, if, um, if your grandparent can't speak English, you know, maybe you can help them out and, and come with them to a peer support or, or do the Zoom meeting with them, help set it up for them if they don't know how to set up the Zoom meeting, you know, and, and make sure that, you know, we're still utilizing things like the friendly caller programming and just, you know, helping one another out is something that I think is a, a real takeaway and, and just sticking with our communities, um, making sure that we're spreading the word within our communities, which 
you know, it's, it's something that's not being done enough, but I think that, you know, we all here just, we got to keep trying and, and this is how things start. Great. Eileen, she's just nodding. <laughs> You've been so yeah. quiet. <laughs> I know. I'm a little bit more quiet today. I'm sorry about that. Um, but yeah, uh, just to reiterate what Ian said, um, definitely like look into, I think that I need to look into more how we can open up our peer support groups and um, like look at people who are faced in, uh, in racism and discrimination and how we can support them, how we can make them a part of um, the peer support groups, how we can involve them more, how we can reach out to them. So I don't know, there's a lot for me to think about over this conversation. Um, I mean, we, we've talked with uh, Robin Priest and Charlotte a bit, and um, definitely I think collaboration's very important in um, the mental health community and in um, also combating racism and discrimination. So, um, yeah, as, as we're both pretty new here, I think I would just like to collaborate more with people in the future and see what their ideas are, what our ideas are, and how we can go forward together to, to fight this. Wow, well, perfect. So we'll definitely keep you in the conversation too as well. Marley? <laughs> I had a thought. <laughs> um, my thought was, more it's pro like pro Su Susie's so good at this kind of thing um what about like a you know a pot um a, a social media blast or um connecting with community centers um IRCOM, but but all the you know the Filipino community center the Chinese community center the Japanese community center all of our you know Asian um community centers because we're just because we're talking about that but obviously including everyone, um, putting a call out for translators, putting a call out for peer-to-peer -peer support um, volunteers, um, looking at intergenerational, my, one of my, my takeaways from our conversation is an intergenerational connection is really important. Um, so so spe specifying intergenerational uh, need for volunteers. Um, and connecting over social media with all of these different groups, um, you know, blasting out, like, you know, putting together a, a, a poster, an online poster, obviously, but just blasting it out, it doesn't cost anything. Um, I know there's a Filipino journal and they would charge you for an ad in the paper, but online, it's something maybe cost effective for your organization. Um, all I had to say about that, but I was like, Ooh, we should. <laughs> I'm sure there's more. Well, that's a very good idea. And it's probably something we could start right now, just even a list of all mm -hmm. these organizations and people that we've had on our conversation. So I can think of um, Immigration Winnipeg too, partners with them too as well. Keiko. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree too. Uh, it's really awareness that you need to uh, uh, circulate and anything that's already been done by some groups. Uh, I don't know whether some of you probably represent various groups, but uh, you know, in Winnipeg, as you mentioned just now, Immigration Partnership Winnipeg, uh, they are part of that coalition that I was speaking about. Uh, and also Asian Heritage Society, uh, they have become involved in that. So they recently had a campaign about Speak Up, 
a mask, <laughs> a mask campaign. And it, it was really to get uh, high profile people to bring awareness to some of these, uh, uh, you know, uh, racist racism and, uh, and then to circulate some of those masks to the essential workers. So, uh, you know, when we're talking about mental health, uh, you know, I used to be a former um, a health uh, care worker and I'm wondering how they're coping because it's been a long time. And now as we spike up again, you know, they're under all this stress again. So how they're uh, coping and, uh, uh, you know, I think uh, it's good to have organizations uh, such as yours and uh, to make sure that people are all aware of it. And if you do need uh, translations or whatever to, yeah, as Marley mentioned, uh, maybe speak to some of the local community organizations and uh, get them to translate. Oh, well, thank you. And uh, Charlotte and Kirsten now? I just got here. <laughs> <laughs> not fair, not fair. <laughs> Um, you know, I was just thinking that, you know, with awareness, I, my hope is that there will be action as well. So, I mean, it's all said and good if we're just writing about it and posting about it, but actually coming forward and doing it would be great. Um, and then the other part is just that, you know, I'll go back to the shame piece that if in some cases, if it's family member coming to translate, maybe the person in your family doesn't want you to know what's going on. So being really careful and cautious around that as well, because, you know, if they are what willing to come forward and start talking about their mental health, maybe they're just not willing yet to, to tell their family about it. So mm -hmm. um, now this is a topic I think Tracy that you could come back to because it's big, you know, and, uh, and maybe the next time we have our action steps in place of what we're going to do, which would be even better. So. That'd be pretty cool. Susie. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want, I want to flip the script a little bit and say that it is, um, it's tiring and it's uh, exhausting to have to be the people who want, who are also the victims of racism to be the ones in charge of ending racism. Okay, so that's a difficult thing. And I, I think that, and this year has been a watershed moment for many of these issues, but there's really one way to combat racism, which is don't be a racist. And that sounds very simple, but that's really what we're looking at here. And to put the work of this monumental task on the shoulders and backs of people who are also the victims of these hateful acts blows my mind. So to everybody out there who, you know, thinks that maybe they have racist tendencies, maybe they harbor some prejudices, you need to examine your behavior and ask yourself why and what kind of harm you're putting out into the world upon others when you exercise those prejudices and racist beliefs and then even strike out with violence. The only way to stop racism is for people to stop being racist. And that's a difficult thing to, um, to understand, but it's also the simplest thing because we are not born to hate. We are not born to um, wreak havoc in this world. We are born to build community. We are born to um, be there for each other and to hopefully help each other. So when I hear stories from my brothers and sisters in the Asian community, in the black community, whatever it might be, still suffering this plague 
it's exhausting and it makes me mad. So my words today are not, you know, my Pollyanna usual point of view. My words today are stop being racist. It's as simple as that. The problem is not with the victims of racism. It's with you, you being the person executing those racist acts. And there you have it. Simple, but so hard to do. You're right, Susie. Totally, totally right. When you kind of spin it around and you look at the other end of the end of the stick, kind of, so to speak. But um, you're right. This is a big topic. It'd be really interesting to see if we can. I, I mean, even if you look at the grassroots to start some sort of, you know, communication conversation anyways between organizations and start a movement and vis-a-vis maybe stopping people from being racist. Um, and then at the same time, creating a better mental wellness and health for everyone, not just the Asian or the ethnic communities, but for everyone, because we're all human. We're all the same. Just come in different packaging. <laughs> and, that, and that we have to come back to that, to this one saying that I, that I really just uh, think says so much is that rights are not like pie. There's enough for everybody. Like everybody having individual rights does not mean that other people's lose theirs. Everybody deserves a life of respect and dignity, period. All right. So slice of pie for everybody today. Well said and well put. Lots of things to think about. Thank you so much, Eileen. And thank you, Ian. It was really great to meet you. And nice to meet you, Keiko. We love to have you back on. And maybe we can have Art on since I had Ian on. So we're kind of breaking the rules a bit. Uh, but anyways, yes. And uh, well, we'll see Charlotte and Kirsten early tomorrow morning. <laughs> oh, and thank you so much, Susie. Always good. And well, the bet not, you know, saving the best for the last, Robin. Thank you so much. All right. Okay. Write down your actions. It's your homework. We'll maybe have this other, maybe have this chat again in two weeks time and see where we are. That'll be great. Okay. Have a beautiful day. Yeah. Enjoy the snow. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening. This has been a production of ilikeyou.com. Podcast distribution from the Sound Off Media Company. What happens when we play outside? We become healthier, both mentally and physically. We become more creative and more focused. We connect with nature, each other, and ourselves. Let's take this outside. A new podcast hosted by me, Marianne Iveson, an aspiring outdoor athlete and nature lover. I speak to athletes, outdoor professionals, and scientists about their connection to nature, how it affects their performance and everyday life. Let's take this outside. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and at letstakethisoutside.ca. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com.
What She Said can also be heard on BlastTheRadio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's BlastTheRadio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.